Thank you for tuning in to Game Investing Pirate Radio. We got a special guest today. This is Hopper, and we have Frank on the line from Boston. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Hopper. Um, my pleasure. It's nice to meet you, and it's it's this is my first podcast cool. that I've been on. Um, so it's pretty great that it's it's a subject that I'm interested in. Yep. Um, so you know, my name's Frank. I was born and raised north of Boston. Cool. I am actually having a baby in a few weeks, which is pretty wild. It's it's wow. my first. Yeah, we're gonna have a son. Oh my um, gosh! And you said you were less than thirty years old, didn't you? Yeah, so I'm 28 years old. Wow. I um, I mm. born and raised in Boston. I went to undergrad here. I went to law school at BU, and I'm a practicing venture capital private equity attorney here. Yeah, um, congratulations across the board. The son, the career, and then getting into the games. Man, thank you for coming on, Frank. Thanks, Harper. I appreciate that. Yeah, you um, got it. Yeah, yeah. I've been. Uh, I'm, I'm very grateful. You know, I've been blessed to. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of good things in my life. Um, well, tell us. But uh, yeah, so, yeah. So how did you get into the uh, you know the retro collecting thing? Yeah. So um, you know, growing up, uh, like I said, I'm 28. So I was born in January '92. Um, okay. okay. My first system was my uncle's NES and Game Boy. Wow. And I, I I can't even remember how young I was. I must have been four or five probably too young to really understand what was going on, but my earliest memories are playing, you know, the legend of Zelda on NES. Wow. Um, excite bike. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, RPGs on the game boy, Pokemon blue, Pokemon red. And then the N64 was my first real console that I could call my own, which wasn't a hand me down. Oh, I see. um, I see what you're saying. Cause you mentioned you wanted to talk about the N64 today. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, that, you know, was, I mean, that I, was like a console you bought then, or you saved up allowance for, or you got it for a Christmas gift, or something like that, like really nostalgic-wise? Exactly. Uh, I got it for Christmas, the year it came out, and, um, you know, that it was something to call my own, and my friends would come over after school or on the weekend, and we'd play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, wow. or The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, wow. and... Um, you know, but I was one of those kids that, you know, once a new system came out, I would trade my old system into GameStop or EB Games, and I would just, you know, forget it and move on. Really? So how did I get into collecting? Yeah, um, yeah. Fast forward. So in law school, for any of those listeners out there that are attorneys, <laughs> it gets dry, it gets dull, and you can get burnt out. Um, <laughs> and that's what happened to me. You know, I went, because there was no break between high school and undergrad, and there was no break between undergrad and law school. So wow. it was just I kept going back to school, and um, so no no time around, off at all between undergrad and law school. Like one summer, and that's it. Just summers, yep. Yeah, wow. Just summers. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So during my second year of law school, I want to say the end of 2016, early 2017, I was really getting burnt out. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. I had another, yeah, I had another year and a half to go and it was just reading, writing tests. So, you know, as I'm, sh- I'm sure most people, most collectors are familiar with the concept of escapism, um, sure. where, you know, you need something to kind of just break from, from the monogamy of, of everyday uh, routine. Yeah. So, 
it was a snowstorm. I was with my buddy. We were shooting the breeze about the N64 and our memories playing The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which is to this day my favorite game. Cool. And I said, you know, it would be a trip to play an N64 and to play Zelda. Wow. And cool. he said, yeah, it would. But wow. we had no idea where to get one. What are we, I had ta- no what idea are we that- talking here? We're talking like 2010, 15, or? Uh, this, so this is January 2017 now. 2017, you're thinking about going back to the N64. Wow. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, a trip. Wow. Um, so we went and we found a local... Um, Brick and, brick and mortar, mom and pop shop up in Drake, Massachusetts. Bizarre game trade. Cool. They're still there. Cool. I think they're in Tingsboro now, so mm-hmm. if they're listening. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to them. Shout out to them. And I went and I bought a 64 and a controller and a Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time cart. Wow. And the, the bug had bitten me. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. The collecting bug was there. Yeah. There was just something about... Ha- Getting those old, that the old hardware, getting those games, holding them, seeing them, playing them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it was just it was pure nostalgic bliss. Pure, um, pure bliss. That's amazing. You got the hardware, the first card on the same day. You plugged it in the same day. You hooked up what a CRT or you got some conversion cables or something, and you're off and running. We hooked it up to a big screen, and it did not look pretty with all the 3D polygons. I can tell you that. <laughs> but. Uh, didn't we matter. didn't care. It didn't matter. I never cared didn't about matter. graphics, man. When I was gaming back in the day, I didn't care about graphics. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't either. Yeah. Um, but but I will say that I do now that I, you know, I've been collecting for a few years and, and playing retro games. I do play on the CRT TV. That's um, cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, that um. That's 2017 that kind of January. And yep. you said that you got integrated like uh, like me early this year. So you've got like three years there where tell us about that little journey you mentioned going from, you know, raw card and moving your way up. Yeah. So, um, you know, and this kind of coincides with my personality. I have a mm-hmm. uh, so I have, I have substance abuse history mm-hmm. and I'm actually coming up on 10 years sober next month. Um, Congratulations, man! Wow, that's Thank a you. long Thanks. time. Ten years. I'm I'm on like yeah. I'm I'm, a, I'm on my first year, my tenth attempt. But with this retro gaming bug, I'm I'm able to maintain. I'm not having urges because I've got like you said the escapism in the brain of retro gaming, retro gaming, graded gaming, WADA, VGA, Facebook, social media, dopamine. You know, I I know where you're coming from, bro. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of collectors do, too. Um, I've met a few people who, um, you know, are sober in the collecting community, and it's really cool when you meet when you meet others. But I didn't, um, I didn't know that. Thanks you know, for I, sharing that, Frank. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, well, I bring that up because it, it, it kind of, I can't describe my collecting habits and behavior without, you know, bringing that element into it, because that's just who I am, you know, and I have an obsessive addictive personality that when left unchecked or yes. treated, as we say in, in the program, sure. uh, it can obviously spiral, right? Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely an obsessive freaking collector now. I'm definitely over the top. 
you know, it's it's, oh, it's pretty crazy. And, and actually, <laughs> but it's that, safe. That it's safer than drunk driving drunk or going to a live concert and driving home after eight drinks or twelve drinks. It's a lot safer than that. But I would say, from you know, from a normal person's perspective, it might look a little crazy. Piles of games everywhere. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it does. It does. And it's funny when I, when someone says, "Oh, you know how much did this game cost?" and I, you know, say, "Oh, well, that cost. I paid four thousand for that." <laughs> the um, uh, why would anyone pay that amount of money for that? Right? Well, um, yeah. I mean, it's like you spending two grand and going to Vegas for a weekend and spending, you know, hundreds of dollars at the bar and and just, you know, trashing the insides of your body. And walking home with a couple snapshots, um, you could do that in Vegas. You could drop two grand, three grand, four grand, five grand, right? Just partying. So at least you've got an it's asset. Drop you got an asset. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, to get back to my point, it's just so when I started collecting it with loose cards, and it, it just wasn't enough, and I wanted to really replicate you know, that, that experience of going to KB Toys or going to the store with my mom and pulling a, a, a cart or a box down from the shelf and then bringing it home and opening it up. So I, I quickly progressed to CIB. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember early on, I mean, collecting was still, I mean, it was expensive, but it was, compared to now, it was still relatively affordable back in um, 2017. 2017 is early. It's early. Yeah, it was. I mean, in this and, new and game, I, in this new game, that's really early. I mean, even 2019 was, I've seen pieces that were 5X cheaper. Some are 10X cheaper in 2019. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bonkers. It's bonkers, like you said. Um, so you're, you're doing CIB in 2017 already. I mean, you started with that N64 January. You're already into CIB. You're moving fast. I was moving fast, um, and you know, back to my personality, I, I needed condition, right? Condition mattered so much, and I would, I would never be satisfied if a box that I bought had a crease on it or had some wear in a corner, and I kept upgrading my game. Wow. Um, wow. So initially, I was going for a full N64 North American set, which is 296 games. Wow. And I also wanted a full Nint- uh, Super Nintendo CIV set. Wow. Um, Wow, wow, wow. But financially and just the time it would take, I realized pretty quickly that I, that just wasn't for me and mm-hmm. all the filler titles that mm-hmm. I would have to buy. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I just want a small little collection of mm-hmm. things that matter and are important to me. Mm-hmm. So I sold off a lot of my heavy games. I had all the Mega Mans on Super Nintendo complete. I had a Sculptor's Cut on N64 complete. You know, I had all these expensive games, and I sold them off. But then I still wasn't satisfied. So you um, downsized and tried to focus. I downsized and I tried to focus, and I kept upgrading boxes. And then I just could never get the condition to the point where I could be like, okay, this is, you know, this really <laughs> scratches my itch, right? Gotcha, gotcha. When, so, you, when you were downsizing, though, were you, were you, you weren't taking any losses, were you? No, just because I kind of got in right before cardboard started to, you know, really okay. increase okay. in size. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I'll be frank, uh, you know, I didn't track everything down to the dollar, well, but of course, of I course. generally say that, yeah, I didn't take any losses. 
that's good. That's good. So you did well early. You did really well early. You didn't make any big mistakes, it sounds like, early, which is great. I mean, that's that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so fast forward to, you know, and you and I had talked about this before the show. Fast forward to March-ish, February, March of this year. Mm-hmm. I had a few sealed games, and, you know, I, I was on Nintendo Age. I'm Walter White Jr. on Nintendo Age. Shout out. And, um, you know, I'm now on video game stage. And I heard of WADA, you know, but coming from the CIB collecting community, Mm -hmm. there was this kind of feeling that, you know, that the graded community was just different. Uh, It was a different animal. The prices were just so crazy and ridiculous. The elitism, um, the clickiness. Is this before Heritage? Is this pre-Heritage? Uh, say it again, sorry. Oh, this is March then? Oh, this is March 2020, so this this is at the same time WADA hooked up with Heritage? Because I don't remember when they hooked up with Heritage. And I don't have any, I don't have any concept of Nintendo age, so I, I have no idea what that was all about. All I heard is it went away, I guess? But what you're saying, yeah. there was two communities you're saying that didn't really like each other, kind of like the gamers didn't like the collectors and the collectors don't like the investors because all the pieces are coming up. The gamers want to play this stuff. The collectors want to put a big set together, but the investors want all the good pieces. So you're saying it started early on Nintendo age. There was, you know, let's say two cultures or something brewing there. Yeah. I just think there was, it was, I don't know if it was just, you know, there was, I I wouldn't say there was any conflict, but it was just more like it was different. Gotcha, um, gotcha. And, and, I, and I, like my circle of collectors, we didn't, you know, I wasn't part of any graded collecting groups. I, I just didn't understand the point. Yeah, um, yeah, because you were doing the grading yourself. You were you were grading the stuff yourself, right? Right, exactly. That's, you, that's didn't a good need, way to put it. you didn't need a third party because you knew you were meticulous. You knew what grade you wanted when you were, you know, you were rarely satisfied, but you were getting, you know, the upgrade going. You were moving forward. I, I, I get that, you know, I get that, you know, I have to go way back in my collecting days, but I get that, you know, it took me decades to come to grading in like, let's say sports cards, for example, it took a long time to get to grading. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I mean, it took years, but, um, eventually what happened, how did I get back? How did I get into grading? Um, you know, I, I joined a few Facebook groups and. Mm-hmm. I I always wanted a, a sealed mint condition Ocarina of Time. Gotcha. It's my favorite game. It's the game that got me back into collecting. Yeah, yeah. The Zelda, the Zelda that you bought on that first day, the Zelda that you played on your first console that you called your own. Understood. Exactly. Yeah. Loud and, and, and I clear just wanted to have that. I wanted to have it in its purest, Pure, most pristine, meticulous form. Exactly. KB toy sticker, nine point eight eight plus plus KB toy sticker. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you got one. Side note: I, I love stickers on field games. Oh, I, I, I know it. some I people hate it. them, but I think the I historical really aspect is so cool. I I used to hate them. I used to pull them off, but John Hancock, I think, is the guy. the the guy The guy up in Washington. Oh yeah. Got, He's yeah, the one that great. brought that up to me on a YouTube video, and he said, this is historical. And when I heard that, I was like, hmm. You know, and I, I pull them off because when I sell games on Amazon, I'm selling to a mom or a, a grandma, and 
I don't want them to see that the game costs $9.99 and they're paying $49.99 for it. That's why I'm ripping stickers off. But now on retro, on retro games, I leave them all on. So, Oh, John, another point is it's not even just the historical aspect. I mean, we're seeing counterfeit and reproduction games. Oh, yeah, authenticity. So much, so much yeah. better. Yeah. What, I mean, what better authentication is there than, you know, a Blockbuster sticker yeah. or a KB yeah. Toys or a Cambridge sticker, Ass- right? Assuming the sticker is legit. Like, I've got a Toys R Us sticker stuffed to my printer I'm looking at right now, and I'm thinking, you know, somebody could put that on another game if they really Agreed. wanted to. You know, but I, I hear what you're saying. Authenticity, certification. I mentioned this in some of my little videos. I've taken heat for that. It's not just about the grading, but it takes a while to get to that point. You know, John's got decades of experience. He's got multiple complete collections. So, you know, he's coming at it from decades and decades of wisdom and knowledge. So it took me a while. You know, I hear you. Yeah. Um so, I, I, I passed on a sealed graded, uh, not a graded Zelda, I passed on a sealed Zelda in June 2019 on eBay. It was $300, it was pristine, and I scoffed at that price. I thought, that's ridiculous. <laughs> 2019, right? yeah, decades ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the graded community, it feels like ages. Um, so, you know, now... Last spring, right before COVID hit and everything, I was on Facebook and uh-huh. someone posted locally to me a sealed Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for five hundred dollars. Okay, and I had to have it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I messaged him. I said, "Hey, listen, I'm a town over. I can meet you wherever. Yeah. You know, this is my favorite game. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's and this uh, yeah. And I was, I, I got it. Yeah. I got it, yeah. and I sent it to Wada. That's your first submission, then your first cartridge, your first, first console, your first your first investment grade because it was five hundred or more, kind of my rule of thumb, and your first submission. Yeah, my first submission. Damn, huh, what a beautiful. Yeah, story. it's kind of crazy. Beautiful it all goes back story. to the Ocarina of Time. Wow, wow. So, so you, you're keeping us in suspense. Tell us, tell us what happened. <laughs> so, so it came back. It was a nine two A plus. Okay. Um, okay. And just like I was drawn to those mint cardboard boxes, I was totally and utterly drawn to these graded, uh, pristine games with, with the whole grading concept. And I just joined these Facebook groups and I started to talk to people. And like the graded community has been amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, any preconceived notions that I had in the past of, yeah. you know, the elitism or what have you, yeah. they totally disintegrated, you know, yeah. and I met some really, really great people, yourself included. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, were you satisfied with the 9-2-A, or, or did that personality kick in to where, uh-oh, I need to get an upgrade, I need to chase this person? Nice, yeah, yeah, nice pickup. Um, you know, at first I was satisfied with it because it had a nasty crease on the back. Oh, um, okay. Actually, that's a good then, name for a crease. I heard with a crease, I heard with a crush, you're looking at five fives, sixes. I heard it's real tough now with crushed boxes. I don't know about creases though. That's that's pretty good grade, isn't it, for a crease? Yeah, at nine two eight plus, I would say is a decent grade. Um, but but you hit it on the head. I needed you know that personality thing kicked in, and and I, I wanted Ocarina of Time in the highest grade possible. Um, you know, and so I started to get into 
slowly I started to add graded games, sealed and graded games to my collection. And okay. Um, okay. I'm a huge Zelda fan. Mm-hmm. And I linked up with a, another huge Zelda collector. And I said, listen, you know, some of these games are out of my reach. I mean, Zelda 1, Zelda 2, Link to the Past. He said, why don't you just stick to Ocarina of Time? It's expensive, but it's still within reach. Yeah. You know, if you want to upgrade, try to try to gather a couple of two or three of them there you and, go. and trade or sell. There you go. Wow, this is so a that's sharp, what I did. this guy's really sharp because he's talking multiple pieces, and that's one of the. I look for separators between collecting and investing, and that is one of the big ones. Is collectors are usually looking for one piece, whereas an investment mindset, you're willing to do two, three, four pieces. You're willing to trade in and out, resell, buy, you know, upgrade, and in the end, you might end up with one piece, but you're willing to have a little bit of a portfolio mentality. And you got that early, I'd agree. is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, you know, and, and like we discussed prior, I mean, I'm a collector first and foremost, but, sure, but sure, I can't sure. tell you that there's not, there's not an investment side of it. Um, sure. But you know, so what I've done, what I did okay. was, I, I'm a big believer in the Ocarina of Time. You know, as far as an investment piece, it sure. is the highest graded video game of all time on Metacritic for 99. I didn't know that. Um, wow. I did not know that. Yep. Wow. Yep. And I, I believe I read a report a year or two ago that it shows up the most on, on top ten video games of all time lists. Wow. Um, that's a heavy hitter. That's that's a that's a goat. You're talking about a yeah, goat. It is. You're talking about a goat. You're talking greatest of all time, possibly. Or at least at the table. Top three, maybe, top five. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I would put it I would put it up there personally. Um I'm you all know, for goats. I'm all for goat investing. You know me, man. I come from sports, but when you're talking about a 99, wow! I did not know that. Yep, yep. It's a 99 on Metacritic, um, and, and people just are drawn to the Ocarina of Time. It, it's it's that turning point where you know 3D gaming really took off. Sure. And sure. Zelda is so special as a franchise. I mean, uh, besides Mario, I mean, you got Mario. Zelda, Metroid, right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think Mario and Zelda are, are pretty much on a different level than everything else. I mean, that's just me personally. That's my personal opinion. Um, I I don't know. I I didn't grow up with Metroid, Mega Man, all these other franchises. And if you look out a hundred years, it seems like Mario and Zelda will still be around. And that's a good point. And that's that. I think that's the most important thing to think about when you want to look at this from the investment side. Yeah. Is which franchises are still relevant, right? Which because ones like, are if you take survive, an offer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which ones are going to survive all digital and just keep? They're going to keep pumping out all digital Mario, all digital Zelda, and that's what it comes yeah. down to. Um, that's a great point. Yeah, I I didn't know that though. That Ocarina was. It, you're talking gameplay is the one is that what you're saying is that the one as far as zelda goes as far as zelda goes metacritic has it as the highest rated game of all time that's um that's amazing that's i didn't know some people wow. some people might say you know it's just one site it's just an aggregator maybe there weren't as many reviewers back then as there are today what have you but it doesn't change the fact that it's the highest rated game of all time there you go there um, you go 
and we don't know. And Looking into the future, there could be a virtual reality Zelda in ten years that might get a higher score. But ninety nine is pretty legit, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the highest. Um, they're actually talking about a Netflix series for Zelda with I forget the actor that plays Spider Man. Um, you know, he's supposed to. I appreciate you mentioning that because I talk about catalysts a lot, and uh, I didn't know about that one. I'm going to have to add that to the newsletter. But I think if you do have an investment mindset and you're listening to the podcast and you're thinking about you know a lot of money in these graded games, catalysts are one of those things that can help you moving forward that give you a little bit of insurance. You know, It protects the downside. If you're talking about a Netflix series, look what the Jordan series did to sports cards. It just blew yeah. up the whole industry. Just amazing response on that one. Of course, that's a COVID-19, you know, macroeconomic factor and all that. But generally, catalysts are a good thing. You know, collecting, investing, I don't care what you're doing. A catalyst can't be bad at all. I didn't know about that. Yeah, so it's like the same adage is, you know, all press is good press. Um, you look at there's a <laughs> yeah, Super Mario World. Japan themed Disney theme park coming yeah, out next Universal, year. Universal Studios. My wife just told me the update. They're they're pushing that back to uh, uh, spring 2021, I believe, before the Olympics. They're releasing the cafe and the store like this week. They're opening a store and a cafe. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of catalysts for Mario, but I never heard of a Zelda one. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. You know, I, I have a position in Zelda, but I will be honest. I think Zelda's undervalued compared to, you know, like a Mario or um, a Mega Man. I and, talk, you know, yeah, I, I talk to a lot of people, and that is the rumor that Zelda will be the first million-dollar game. And it's probably that yeah, singer the, Zelda The first TM. print NES Zelda yeah. should, should be the first print. Um, Everyone agrees on that. You know, everybody kind of goes back and forth on the black box Mario's, you know, and there's a lot of controversy there. But nobody, nobody downplays the idea that Zelda first print is the first to a million. I haven't heard anybody hate on that idea. I mean, it's almost guaranteed. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's tough to argue against, um, just in terms of pure rarity. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, I wish I could go into that, but we don't have a lot of time. Um, we got about four minutes left. Let's let's keep on the track of what you did with your Zelda position. I want to know, like, did you sell off that nine two? Did you get two more and then sell it off? Like, t tell me kind of how you did your position and portfolio. Yeah, sure. Um, so I actually acquired at one time, I had five Ocarina of Times. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, I had, so there's Ocarina of Time Collector's Edition, which is, it's the same game. It just has a shiny cover and people, some people say that it was pre-release -re -pre only. Um, Interesting. And then there's the standard edition. So I had one standard edition. Bronte sold me that, Dan. Uh, shout out to Dan. Thank you for that. Thank you. Dan. And I had four collector's editions. Now, are you talking? In the about, are you basically saying for the people that don't know and I don't know on Ocarina? Are you saying there's two print runs? That's right. Well, actually, there's three print runs. Three print runs. So there's there's collector's edition, standard edition, and then million seller. Okay. Standard okay. Edition. 
and that gets printed after it's sold a million. So that would be the later, the latest print run. And that's, exactly. that's the one the investors don't really go for. They want to go for first print, but you're saying we don't know if the collectors or the regular is first print? Yeah, and, and compared to some different, some other different games and prints, um, there's really no consensus, and people don't really care that much. You'll find, you know, if you take 10 collector investors and you ask them which one they care about more, you'll probably get a slight edge towards the collector's edition. But okay. um, let's talk pop reports. Is there less? I mean, the pop rumors. Is there less of the collector graded in nine zero above than the regular, or is it just the same? Or I would say there's more collectors editions than standard editions. Is that just because people sent in more of those, or you think it's a fifty fifty population, or one third, one third, one third? Or are these questions just too crazy? I got a degree in statistics, so you know, just tell me to shut up when I get too mathematical. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I would say uh, so. To answer one of those questions, I would say that there's probably two collector's editions to every standard edition. Okay. okay. And there's actually a lot fewer of the million seller editions, but people just don't really care about those that much. Yeah, they're just not getting sent um, in. Is the way I look at that. Yeah, and the collector's edition, like you said, I mean, people bought them, people probably bought a collector's edition and a standard edition, they opened the standard edition, and then they just put the collector's edition on the shelf, because yeah. it's a collector's edition, and they wanted to save it. Yeah. Um, okay, Frank, I don't mean to cut you off, but we uh, we obviously have more to talk about, but we only have uh, 30 seconds here, so you want to take a little break and come back uh, for another run here? Yeah, sure, we can... We can take a little break and then get back into the n64 investing cool. specifics cool okay uh game investing will be right back with special guest frank in uh, just a minute here welcome back to game investing uh special guest frank here is going to uh, expand on the n64 insights for us how you doing frank you ready to come back and uh, talk for another 15 yeah let's do it um okay give it to me so just yeah just getting into you know so my forte um, is, as I said, the N64 and, and, you know, specifically sealed and graded N64 games. And mm -hmm. it shouldn't come too much of a surprise that the, that the five big, expensive and most desirable N64 graded sealed games yeah. are in, in no particular order. Okay. Mario 64, yeah. uh, Mario Kart 64. Yeah. GoldenEye 007, yeah. Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, and Super Smash Brothers. Super Smash. So those are the, those are the big five. Those are the big um, five. You, we can definitely call these keys if that becomes a thing in graded games. Those are the keys. Those are definitely will forever be keys in N64 library, which you said was about 300 games. Okay. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, and those are the top five most sold games. I would um, say the GoldenEye shocked the world when it went off first to, first to market on Heritage. I think it did 2022. Um, but yeah, that one really woke a lot of people up that aren't so savvy with the N64. So let us let us know what you think, you know, about uh, you know, looking at it now in October 2020. Yeah. Um, so I actually have a golden eye. I have an 85 plus. 
okay. that I picked up for a little over five grand recently. Okay. Um, After the one and, sold on Heritage for twenty. Yeah. So I believe a nine. I don't know the exact numbers, but I believe a nine eight A plus plus sold on Heritage in July for twenty two. Yeah. Yeah. And then a nine six a plus plus sold recently in September for twenty four maybe yeah um, those are big numbers, man. I'm pulling up heritage now, yeah, those are really big numbers. I believe those are the highest actually no I know those are the highest sold at sixty four prices on heritage yes yeah, september um, nine eleven twenty three grand and then uh july tenth twenty grand. Those are big numbers for N64, definitely. Yeah, and I, and I don't think it should, it should be that surprising. I mean, Gold and I, you know, people that talk about the N64 and grew up during the time that I grew up, um, you know, everybody played Gold and I. You know, it was the big multiplayer shooting game, first-person shooter. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it has its roots in, in cinema. Um, are you saying that this piece is... Not overvalued in late 2020. This still has potential long term because of historical and nostalgic value. Um, like in the shooter genre, I, I, I like to talk about historical a lot. Everyone understands nostalgic, but in the shooter genre, I go back to Space Invaders. But you're talking about polygons, you're talking about 3D, you're talking about multiplayer. These are all historical events in gaming that are very significant. And, and I didn't grow up with this stuff, so I don't really know those transitions. I left around NES. Um, but what you're telling me is this, this was really the one between 2D and 3D. It was huge. Um, huge. GoldenEye 007 was just massive in terms of, of importance for that era. Yeah, yeah. Um, Are we looking at a piece that could be six figures someday? Let's say five, ten years of graded video games keep going, and Mario comes up to a million, Zelda comes up to a million. We've got you know several pieces at a million. Um, is this one of those pieces that we could say, hey, that could be a hundred grand? I mean, personal opinion, First Amendment, you know, freedom of speech here. What do you think? Because a lot of people say, wow, twenty. You know? I think that if, big if, um, that's left the number one of being an attorney is always put conditional language in all your answers. <laughs> if <laughs> I love it. Prices do continue to rise, which I do think they're going to, to stabilize or normalize because I don't think they can keep going at the pace they are. But, I mean, that's a separate conversation. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's why focusing on keys to, is so important. Right, exactly. Um, if prices continue to rise, I think that those five N64 games I mentioned, all five of those have a chance at you know rising to those types of levels. Um, Super Smash going to 10 or 20, uh, Mario Kart 64, 10. These are all $10,000 pieces is what I'm hearing, and I'm looking at Heritage right now. I typed in N64 WADA, and I'm seeing you know, everything besides GoldenEye is is down. It's down in the five, three, four, five. You can still pick these pieces up for less than ten grand easily. It looks like. Well, so he, here's the thing about that, and this is kind of a, a trend that I've because I've, I'm looking. So I have GoldenEye right now in my in my collection. I have 
a 96A++ Ocarina of Time Collector's Edition. Okay. Um, okay, that's the one you kept and you offloaded the other? That's my grail. That's my gem. That's your grail. Um, okay. I, I mentioned on the prior segment that, I, you know, at one time I had, I believe I had four Ocarinas, um, and I sold and traded up. So I traded a 9.4A and quite a bit of cash to get a 9.6A++. Um, that's very interesting. That's a very interesting transaction. I haven't pulled one of those off yet. Very interesting. Yeah, that was my first kind of hybrid transaction like that. Hybrid. I like uh, it. I yeah. like it. That's a nice little nugget for the listeners there. You know, a hybrid <laughs> a hybrid trade-up. Cash and trade, but we're talking about the same title going both ways. So if both people are nostalgic, they're kind of okay with it. It's a win. It sounds like a win-win to me. It is, and it's not even just the nostalgic piece. It's also so, you know, say the person that was selling me the Ocarina of Time, if I had just offered cash, yeah. if he also collects other graded games and he thinks, oh, crap, I don't want to sell this, you know, super high-graded Ocarina of Time, and then six months down the line, you know, it explodes for 30000 40000 oh, just for the you. sake of argument. You're talking now about, that he has it. Oh, yeah, you're talking about, like, protecting the downside and opportunity yeah, exactly. costs. Hedging you're his, talking hedging. hedging his risk. You're talking exactly. hedging right there because he's still in the position. But he's in just a lower, you know, one tick lower grade. So if, exactly. if the title takes off, he's fine because he cashed out. That's like, yeah, all the analysts say that in a stock market, you know, when you're in the black, take money off the table, you know, exactly. and, and stay in the position. But it's a smaller position, but then you're not going to kill yourself or kick yourself in the end if it does explode like an Amazon or a Facebook or a Google stock or something. Right. Because, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of like looking at it from that point of view is kind of where you start to separate people that are collecting or investing and speculating, right? Because, yeah, yeah, you know, it's when you start looking at it from those types of angles and it was a good negotiation piece from my end because, you know, oh, yeah. it was great to work with, oh, but yeah. he didn't really want to sell the title. And, yeah. you know, when I presented him with the same title, just in a lower grade, and yeah. he could hedge his risk, Ooh. you know, it worked out. That's a really nice nugget. That is a beautiful tactic to build a position, to develop a portfolio, to hedge the downside. Yeah, that is opportunity cost. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Frank. I really appreciate yeah. that insight there. Wow. I got to pull that off. I haven't tried one of those, but I'm going to use that tactic for sure. I will try that one. Definitely. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that was so. That was uh, my biggest transaction, and I'm very happy with it because one thing that I'm starting to see, and I don't think this is new, but I think we're starting to see it more and more, is you're starting to see the nine six and nine eight A plus pluses kind of start to pull away a little yes, bit. Yes, I call that um, separation. I, I did an episode on that. I call it separation, and yeah, you're seeing the polarization really. You know, the, and the yeah, nine, think, nine sixes are starting to pull away now. I mean, the nine eights are just drying up. It's just, yeah. Well, I, I that Minish Cap, that Game Boy Advance, Zelda Minish Cap 988 went for five grand or yeah. six grand recently with yeah. Buyers Premium. Yeah. And yeah. people people scoffed and said that's crazy money. And I agree, it's very high, but it's it's just a testament to how much great importance it is and how that 988 is just valued that much higher. Yeah. I mean, the thing, uh, about, the thing about the 98s is there's a public population and there's a private population. And, Nine eights don't come to the public. They get locked away in private collections. 
and, and there is no population in the public heritage comic link comic connect ebay world there there really aren't any nine eights of keys these days I mean, we're talking q4 2020 who knows we'll see what happens with stimulus and the presidential election and you know the next recession and all this we might see them come out but for right now yeah i mean i'm buying nine sixes i'll take nine sixes all day right now yeah no i i feel the same way but i mean unfortunately you know sometimes a title that you want you just can't get in that grade so my advice and kind of what i do is is i kind of set a minimum right a minimum what, what am I willing to buy and I know I can upgrade? And mm-hmm. I think that for most people, myself included, it's that 9.0A baseline. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I try yeah. to stay above a 9.0A. Yeah. And yeah. then with VGA, yeah. um, 85, 85 plus yeah. Generally, when you're talking investment grade, I would agree with you. But, you know, when you get weird and you go to Telegames Atari or Atari Inc. and 70s stuff, that doesn't apply, but definitely for, you know, black bo- everything beyond black box seems to be 9.0 and up. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll learn a lot when the population report comes out. We were going to talk about that, but it's probably too too early to talk about that. You want We got a couple minutes left. You said you had 15. Do you want to talk a little bit about maybe Super Smash, uh, Mario 64, Mario Kart for the people that didn't play those or... Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go for. The, I, I think I can do the full thirty. If you want to go for another fifteen minutes. Yeah, you just let me know when you want to cut it off. We're at we're at about eleven and a half right now in. So uh, you know, I didn't grow up with this stuff. Um, I I all I know is Mario's in the title, and then Super Smash. Can you tell me a little bit about Super Smash? Is that a fighting game? Is that Mario and all his buddies? Is it a wrestling game? Yeah. What's going That's on? That's exactly Super what Smash? it is. So it, it's a fighting game. It was first released for the N64, Super Smash Brothers, okay. uh, 1999. And it was a hit. Okay. Um, and then Nintendo has released different versions or iterations throughout the year since on, you know, Wii, GameCube, Nintendo yeah. Switch. Yeah. And it has a huge, it has a huge following. So um, there's tournaments. They- are those modern releases? When I say modern, I'm talking GameCube, Wii, Switch, whatever. Are those modern releases like Super Smash 2, Super Smash 3, or are they remakes, or are they the same game? Like, is this a franchise? Well, they're, new, they're new games, but, but I mean, the, the game itself is kind of, it, it generally hasn't changed much from its original. Okay. Um, okay. It's a fighting game. There's, you know, each iteration has some new levels or characters or items, but it's, you know, it's Nintendo characters or, or other franchises um, fighting each other. And do it's a great game. It's very you, highly regarded. Do you see it as one of those franchises like we were talking about that you could see coming, you know, six years later, eight years later, ten years later on all digital, they'll keep making an iteration of Super Smash? I do. Okay. I do. Okay. I, I, think, I think Smash Brothers prints money for Nintendo. I don't see them not continuing to release yeah. titles yeah um, yeah i imagine if it has a slew of characters in there and there's a new character that pops up in the future you can always add him to super smash and make a new iteration then yes exactly and that's what they do they release new content um like in the nintendo switch version they will release new content and new characters every few months just to keep it fresh when I, was, um, when I was in grad school, I studied Pixar versus uh, Disney, and we also studied Blockbuster versus Netflix. Back in the day when everyone, 
you know, they wanted to invest in Blockbuster and Disney. But what, you know, what happens, you know, like Disney buys Marvel, Disney buys Pixar. Suddenly you have all these characters under one company. And, and if it's a Super Smash type of thing, you know, you can just create all kinds of variations and iterations. The bigger the character universe grows. So, you know, now I'm thinking I like this title. <laughs> I, I'm almost hey, thinking hey, it's, I it's want a one great of these title. Guys. Wow. It's also a very hard to find title. Um, so this is Super Smash number one. Um, there's no alternative. It's just the N64. Is there a player's choice? Is there a collector's edition? I believe there's a player's choice. Um, okay. I think all of these top five have player choices. Um, they should. Yeah, they definitely Yeah, because yeah, they all sold over a million copies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, in terms of, you know, we won't get into the pop reports, but I, I don't know how exactly rare any of these five are as opposed to each other. You know, I think they're all generally um, around the same rarity level. It's just more people aren't letting them go. Um, You're talking you know, public, people, public, public versus private population. Yeah. People don't let yeah, go of people Mario. People just don't want to sell them. No. And I don't blame no, them. No. Who would want to let go of a Mario right now? I mean, he is so hard to buy. Man. Yeah. Exactly. And if you, if you look at like if you look at those five games on Heritage, you know, GoldenEye exploded. Yeah, but none of the other titles have been on Heritage recently in high grade. Yeah. So I'm, we I'm have no idea how high they can Yeah, go. I'm looking. I don't. Yeah, you know, I see nine four nine zero. There, there is a Mario Party, but that's not that's not in the top five. Uh, eight five. Yeah, I don't see any nine eights, nine sixes. I don't think, I think you might find a 9.4, but most I've seen are 9.0s. So tell me about conditions. This is a word I use from sports cards. It's called condition sensitivity. It's basically a manufactured product that might have a soft box or soft corners. Or would you consider, like, where does N64, where do the boxes rank as far as condition sensitivity or fragileness or softness or... Like, how hard are these to find in the wild without corner pokes, for example? I would venture, I would venture to say that the N64 is the most condition-sensitive. Wow. If not one of the top one or two. We're um, talking, like, black boxes. Like it's, you know. just, it's so hard to find them in nice condition. The cardboard is so thin and flimsy. Um, and, and, you know, it's even harder, like, coming from the CID collecting world. Sure. I mean clean cardboard boxes is just so difficult wow um yeah that's the thing i i don't want to get negative but there is another separator between collecting and investing and i think collectors have much more population they have the population but my question always is you've got five thousand games in your you know on your shelves the question is how many of those boxes are 9.0 or above and that's something i have no idea but you're telling me it, it could possibly be none for for some of these it's, complete yeah, it's very one hard. copy it's each. Very hard. So I'm looking at um, a nine two, I'm looking at a nine four, and I need to I need to ratchet down and be satisfied with a nine oh nine two nine four is what you're telling me. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's just it's just that hard to find really, really nice condition and sixty four games. Well, this nine point eight A plus plus Goldeneye that went off for twenty grand suddenly makes sense. I mean, that could be a one of one. You know, well, and, 
and it makes sense because if you kind of just take everything we've just recently talked about, right? Sure. Goldeneye, it's in it's in that top five, yeah. right? Yeah. And out of that top five, it's the only one that's been in the nine eight eight plus plus on Heritage. Oh wow! You know, it's importance, it's popularity. So when you start to look at all these things in the aggregate, yeah, that yeah. price point doesn't seem so crazy after all. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. And the market says, you know, that was low because we come back with a nine point six. It goes for three grand more. And to me, that's saying these are condition sensitive, and I don't care if it's a nine six nine eight. You're never going to see this again. You better jump on it. You better bid on that now. Yeah, I mean, wow, you got me One, excited uh, about N sixty four, Frank. I'm like ready to chase this stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's fun and it's fun to collect. Um, wow. And we're talking you know, okay. We're talking sixty four bit era. Um, I grew up on eight bit. Um, now sixty four bit era. What are the real quick? Who are the competitors? Is that Sega Dreamcast? What what is uh, so it'd be PlayStation One. Okay, okay, okay. Sega Dreamcast. And um Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Okay, no, so PS one, there's not gonna be any Mario. Goldeneye was not on PS one or probably not. No. Okay, no. and then Sega Dreamcast, I have no idea. I just sold a Sega Dreamcast game. I didn't even know. Yeah, it was something. Yeah. And uh, as far as these titles go, they're not going to be on Sega. GoldenEye. So is that called an exclusive? None of, none of those. All, the, all five of those are exclusive. They're exclusive. But we don't call them exclusive. Because Mario, right. Mario is exclusive. We don't call that an exclusive, quote unquote, from like a mainstream media gaming perspective. Is GoldenEye technically then an exclusive? GoldenEye 007 is a Nintendo property, but nowadays, uh, so Rare developed GoldenEye, Rare, okay. Rare, Rare, um, okay. and Microsoft owns those properties. Gotcha. But I, I, and I could be totally off the mark. I don't think Microsoft can re-release GoldenEye 007 without Nintendo's permission. I got gotcha. you. So, so those five it's keys, unlikely we see a remake. Those five keys are only available on Nintendo and the N64. Has 300 titles in the library, and we're talking condition sensitivity. We're talking multiple factors here that really look at these as a solid investment. Is the way I look at it. Thanks, Frank. Great. Well, great. and yeah, and just to, to put a bow on it, they're incredible games. Um, Gaming. The N60, the N64 library. And this is coming from a huge Nintendo 64 fanboy. I will be the first to admit it's generally weak overall i gotcha but it's extremely top heavy meaning gotcha. i would put the top five or ten and 64 games against any other system i gotcha i gotcha so it's about 300 titles but you're saying on the top end they're strong across the board gaming wise collectible wise condition wise investment wise exclusivity yeah wow yes I'm exactly so i mean I'm if so you're glad. going to if you're going to invest in graded games and you're going you know you want n64 to be a part of your portfolio i think you need to try to get at least one of those top five in preferably you know over a 90a condition okay, okay frank now here's the tough question because we're going to have to wrap it up shortly here we're at 21 minutes uh you know me 100 percent transparency full disclosure we don't want to avoid any pump and dump you know hate you gotta, if you can, could you share your positions on those top five? If you're comfortable with that, um, 
you don't have to tell me what you paid, but it would be nice to know, you know, it would be nice for everybody to know what you're holding because, you know, if you're bullish on a piece, it's cool to disclose is the way I look at it. Oh, 100%. Um, I am all for transparency as well, and I am one of the biggest advocates advocates against market manipulation and um, shady behavior. So, on uh, those top five, I own one GoldenEye 00785 Plus VGA, okay. and I own a 9.6 A++ Ocarina of Time Collector's Edition. I own an 85 Plus Ocarina of Time Standard Edition. Mm-hmm. And I just sent an 85 plus collector's edition Ocarina of Time to Wada to cross over. Crossover. So I own three. I own three Ocarinas and one Goldeneye out of those top five. On that 85 plus, you're hoping for nine two. I'm hoping. I I think it's my first time crossing actually. Okay. Um, Okay. But I'm hoping for a nine four eight plus because it's a really nice 85 plus. Yeah, you're grade you're grading the game. You're not you're not going by the uh, case. You because you came up very very uh, you know conscious of of you know starting with cart, going to CIB, going to graded, going to sealed. So you graded that game personally. You're thinking nine four. Wow. So you're gonna have three if you uh, yeah. Well, that's three investment grades. Now what about on the others like the Super Smash and the cart? Unfortunately, no, but I am in the market for those three. So if anybody listening has one and that they'd like to trade or sell, I am always listening. Um, okay, well. You know, interestingly enough, they just, I mean, the top five, like I said, I don't know if they're per se rare, but uh-huh. it's just people don't want to let them go. Well, for, from my perspective on the outside, when you compare coins, comics, cards to video games on the investment side, 9.0 and above public population, to me, it's short across the board. I don't care what the platform is, the title. It's all short. I mean, you do the math. When, when you've got 10 copies and there was 17 million printed, you're talking about point zero 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 zero. You know, just don't get me started on the math, Frank. That was the rabbit hole we're not supposed to go down. It's just short, short, short. So if people want to hit you up, if people want to find you, if people want to do a deal with you, if people have a, you know some of these keys and they want to contact you, where can they find you, man? So I am on Instagram. I am Walter White Jr. underscore 64. I am on Video Game Sage, eBay. I'm Frank Joseph on Facebook. I'm in Pretty much all the same groups as you. Um, high-end gaming, show off your water games, sell your water games. You can find me there um, if you want to, you know, talk talk trades, talk deals, or you just want to shoot the breeze and talk collecting. I'm, I'm pretty wide open. Um, cool. cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and, you. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah. So thank you for yeah. coming on, Frank. I really appreciate your, uh, you know, sharing your personal story with N64 all the way from nostalgia you know, all the way up through kind of an investment mindset. And thank you for sharing all those nuggets, you know, you know, um, you know, kind of bringing a little economics into the game and, and making some recommendations that hopefully can help our listeners. We really appreciate it, Frank. Thanks for having me on, Hopper. I'm glad that I could contribute and I'm happy to come on any other time. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime, Frank. Uh, come back on and you know if you come across any other n64 i guess the cool thing that a lot of the youtubers do is kind of like hidden gems so maybe maybe we can come up with something like that next time yeah sounds good actually uh, real quick last last bit i can give you 
just five other titles outside those top five that I would be looking at from an investment side. Okay. Ready? I'll just rattle them off quick. Gotcha. Don Donkey Kong 64, Banjo-Kazooie, Mario Party 1, Mario Party 2, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1. Love it. Love it. I actually had a there card shop back in the day that I split in two, and half my store was a skate shop. Tony Hawk is a goat. I'm I'm always down with goats, even though I've never played the game. I don't know anything about it. I'm always down with goats. No question ever. No one will ever deny that he is the scapegoat. So not skate, well, not scapegoat, but skating goat. Sorry about that, Tony, if you're listening. So uh, any last words, Frank, uh, as we uh, sign off here? Um, we appreciate it. And uh, so many nuggets and knowledge bombs. I just want to say thank you again for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Hopper. And uh, everybody have fun collecting and, and investing. Thank you very much, Frank. You have a great night. You too. Take care. Bye.